0: So, does anybody recognize that? You know where it is? South Virginia and South, south McCarran, kind of by Meadowood Mall, kind of by Chick fil A, uh, maybe is, is there? So, you can see it. You can just see the top of it when you drive over on, on 580. Anybody know what it's called? Or do you know what that is? It's from Burning Man. It's a Burning Man leftover. Yep, 2012 Burning Man. Star of Reno, uh, yeah, Cosmi- Reno Cosmic Star or uh, Reno Star, also called the Cosmic Thistle. So that's supposed to be a thistle, uh, just in case you didn't know. It seems like uh, Reno has a, a love affair with conceptual art, or maybe Burning Man has a has a love affair with conceptual art. You you drive around town and you see all these these sculptures around, and you're like, what is that? And and you So that's the thistle. It stands 46 feet wide and 60 feet tall. um, Or opposite, 46 feet high and 60 feet wide. But long before there was conceptual art, where you have to kind of look at it like this or like this uh, to figure out what it is, Uh, I would also say there was something called deceptual art. Uh, When you go back to Genesis, uh, the beginning of the world, and God created the world. You know, it's like this big old art museum, and you can just imagine Adam and Eve walking around, wide-eyed, and and looking at all these displays that God has made. And, you know, and imagine, just imagine seeing for the first time a, a giraffe huh? or a rhinoceros, and how wide-eyed they would have been, or a or an elephant, or or a monkey. And then after seeing a monkey, you you see the monkey flower, monkey face flower. It's supposed to be the one of the weirdest flowers out there. I mean, you can almost hear the conversation, can't you? Uh, Adam saying, hey, Eve, check this out. Or Eve saying, no, come on over here. This is amazing. And so so just, you know, just all these different things that they would have seen. But then that one day, they're standing in front of something that they've already seen before. Uh, God was the art museum tour guide. Actually, even before Eve was on the scene, he took Adam to this tree in the middle of the garden. He says, look at that tree. And he says, don't eat it, though, because it will kill you. And it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now as they're standing before that tree, some days later, we don't know how many how many days after creation, there's lots of theories out there, how many days after creation the, the fall into sin happened. I I have my own theory. My, my theory is day eight. I think it took them one day to fall, but that's my theory. Uh, but there they are. They're standing in front of, of this tree that they've seen before, that God told them about, and all of a sudden up slithers next to them a new tour guide, and he says, "Hey, let's let's kind of look at that tree from a different angle, right? Uh, and let's let's have a different perspective on that tree." A- and so he he whispers, this villainous whisper, the this sa- the this serpent whispers into to Eve's ears and. You know, we, we maybe know the phrase, did God really say? You know, because God said a lot of things. And so Eve, you know, God said, rule over the earth and subdue it. Uh, God said, hey, I give you every plant that has fruit as food. Well, you can see this, this tree has fruit on it. So are you sure? Did God really say you shouldn't eat fruit from this tree? Did you hear that, Eve? Or, or, or did God just tell Adam that and, and he's just relaying the message? You know how guys listen. You know, he, he probably didn't re- relay it to you correctly. Did God really say, come on, God wouldn't want that for you. God loves you. God wants you to have what's best for you. God wants you to enjoy all of his creation. So, so go ahead eat God would want you to have this But just in case for the sake of argument God did tell you not to eat of that tree Why would he say that What kind of a God would would tell you not to eat of this delicious fruit I mean especially one that's seemingly good for you I mean he told you it's good for knowledge I mean wouldn't God want that to you to have that? Why, why would he deprive you of, of a blessing? Why would he deprive you of knowledge? Furthermore, did God really threaten you with death? He said, if you eat of it, you'll die? Oh. Is that the kind of God that you want to honor? Is that the kind of God that you want to worship? Not, not me. Someone who's going to hold things back from you? Someone who doesn't have your Best interests in mind, so go ahead and eat. In a very short, now I embellished a little bit about the conversation, but there's two main points that the devil uses to try to lure Eve into sinning. He either attacks the validity of God's word, right? did God really say? ...or he attacks the validity of God's goodness. Why would God want you to not have that? And whichever tactic it was that flipped the switch... ...in Eve's mind, it worked. Because what does it say? It says, when the woman saw... ...when she saw that the fruit of the tree was in fact good for food... ...and pleasing to the eye... ...and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. And before we pile too heavily on her, let's talk about Adam. Let's put to bed the the old joke that, oh yeah, it's all the woman's fault, right? Where is he? Who was with her? Standing right there next to her. You might even argue Adam was worse that, I mean, it doesn't matter whose comparison here, but almost worse than Eve. Because he also knew God's command, but now not only is he not loving God and, and maybe doubting God's goodness or doubting God's word, he's also not doing the other part of God's command, loving his neighbor. He's not loving his wife. I mean, think about what he's doing here. I mean, this is the one that he just sang a love poem from about the, the chapter before. He said, oh, this is bone of my bones, this is flesh of my flesh. I mean, he, he saw that this was God's gift to him. And he was so excited ab- about, about this gift that God had given her, this suitable helper. And now that she's wondering, is, is God's word suitable? He just lets her go. But then he, he, he lets her be the guinea pig and says, well, maybe I'll check to see if she dies first, right? How loving is that on his part? He knows what God's word says, and he just lets her take it? I mean, so if, if you give me, you know, a, a glass here and just a little bit of poison, enough, I say, hey, you know, here, this is for you and Mary. Go ahead, Mary, you drink first. I am not a loving husband if I do that. And so, so that's what Adam is doing here. He he throws his wife to the wolves, basically. Just go ahead, you know. Doesn't say a word. Just watches her eat. And then when she doesn't kill over right away, now he too doubts God's word. Says, "Oh, sure enough, God must be wrong. This this serpent must be right. She didn't die, so sure, I'll take some." And eat it as well and yet before we pile on Adam or Eve uh, we also have to understand that isn't the devil's tactics still the same to us those two questions really summarize all of the devil's temptations we either are led to question the validity of God's word or we're led to question the validity of God's goodness How many times don't we say, did God really say? Or we'll say something like, well, I know this is what the word says, but. (laughs) But that was way back then. That doesn't apply to today. So now we've just trashed the validity of God's word. I I know that's what God's word says, but that was for that culture. That was for that people, those people. This is me. I I know that's what God's word says, but that's not the popular thing. That's not what I want to do. And just like that, we toss away the validity of God's word. Or we, too, are also tempted by the validity of God's goodness. And that's really seen almost every time that we ask the question, why? Why, God, did you allow this to happen? Why, God, do you not allow that to happen? Why, God, don't you work things out the way I want it to work out? And and so all of a sudden, there we are. We are questioning God's goodness. We are questioning God's word. And when we do that, when we listen to that whisper that's in our, in our voices and, and we fall prey to Satan's temptations, then all of a sudden we're crushed. We're crushed by our conscience. We say, I can't believe I fell for it again. And, and that's what Adam and Eve did too. You know, when when they heard or when they fell into sin, it says, you know, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig trees together, fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. Uh, that, that's maybe a confusing verse a little bit. Really? They didn't know they were naked before this? Uh, what's the point? What's What's God's word trying to point out here? It really shows the contrast of being in line with the will of God and not. When you are in line with the will of God, and which Adam and Eve were created to be, they're they're created in the image of God. So God's, God's law can be summarized again. Uh, I am either loving God or loving neighbor. And so all of their attention was theirs. Like, how can I love God? How can I love my neighbor? They weren't even concerned about themselves. But then all of a sudden, as soon as sin enters the world, what does sin do? Sin turns your eyes inward. And because it's it's about me. And as soon as they turn themselves inward, what what sin introduced, they said, Oh man, now I don't now I realize I don't have any clothes on. And th- and it's not so much that they don't have clothes on, but they're they're shamed. And their guilt. Having fallen, they are are filled with guilt. They are crushed by their shame. But I don't think it's just that they're crushed by their shame or their guilt. They're also crushed by what they lost. That they just realized they blew it. That they lost the paradise. They lost perfect garden. They, they lost a perfect relationship with God. And, and there too... That's sometimes what crushes us more in life than anything else. Yes, we're crushed by our shame and our guilt, but we're also crushed by the loss that our sin causes. You know, we can maybe have, have one off-color comment, and all of a sudden it costs us a lifelong friend. Or we can make one poor judgment at work, and it can, it can cost us a job, just like that. Sometimes it can cost a life. Uh, sometimes it, it, we 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 just make we make a poor decision, and it's like you know we all want that backspace key <laughs> in our life, or we want the unsend button on our on our iMessage, and say oh you know I want that back. I I, I want to I, I I regret doing whatever I did because now we know our life will never be the same, and so we're crushed. We're crushed by shame and guilt of our own conscience. We're crushed by the fact that I have just lost something that was near and dear and valuable. And maybe there's one other thing. It's not just that we're crushed by what we lost. It's also we feel crushed by what we know what's coming. And that's judgment or punishment or justice. And that was weighing heavily on Adam and Eve as well. Yes, they, they felt embarrassed, they felt shame. Yes, they felt the loss of a perfect world, but they, they knew God wouldn't be too happy. And they were scared of what was coming. I, I can't imagine, you know, that verse 8. What's going on in their hearts when they heard the sound of the Lord coming in the garden? I, I have to believe they are trembling like they've never trembled before. I, maybe maybe the, the best way to put it into our terms is if, if, if this ever happened to you, um, never happened to me, but if mom ever said, wait till your father comes home, <laughs> right? As soon as she says that, you're already nervous. But I would get a little bit more nervous when I'd hear the garage door opening because now that time is Imminent. And so, so they, as soon as they sinned, they knew they are in trouble, but now they hear the sound of the Lord coming. Imagine the fear, imagine the trepidation in their hearts. And then they offer up these feeble excuses, which we're not going to look at now, but, but Adam, and, you know, it, it's not helping his cause. Because one of his excuses is actually pointing the finger at God and saying, you know what, it's your fault, <laughs> That you gave me this woman. Just imagine, again, going to that situation with Dad. And so Dad walks in, and Mom tells him what's going on, and you say, well, Dad, it's your fault. I don't think that's going to lessen my punishment at all. And so as, as, as God hears these feeble excuses offered by, by Adam and Eve, you can almost see him, you know, it's a good thing he's a spirit, because if they could have seen him physically, you could just see him getting red and his nostrils flaring, and he's just about to, to reach, to, to lash out at them with all of his wrath, with all of his anger. And yet, that's, that's when the biggest surprise of all happens. There they are, crushed by their shame, crushed by what they've lost, about to be crushed by the wrath of God. But instead of talking to them God in his grace turns to that serpent Satan himself who's probably dancing in the tree as that as that snake because he, think, he, he thinks he has won. He thinks he has gotten Adam and Eve to come onto his side. And then God says these words Genesis 3 verse 15 where he says and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Enmity is this I don't know if we use that word very often so it's like hatred or animosity and and so you so you have the devil you know thinking okay what's what's going to happen is that i've gotten that enmity to go over here that that cloud is a symbol for god and so you so the devil thinks i've got adam and eve on my team now that's great and, and what does god says uh-uh i am going to reverse i am going to I am going to put things where they belong. I am going to continue to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And one of her offspring, which we know from the rest of the Bible, is Jesus. And one of her offspring is going to crush your head. And that's what Lent is all about. It's one of my favorite scenes from the movie The Passion. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, it was out probably 15 years ago now, uh, directed by Mel Gibson. If you haven't ever seen it, I, I highly encourage you to watch it. It's gory. I will give you that. But it's it's a great picture of, of the suffering of Jesus, the love of Jesus, what he was willing to go through. And if you haven't ever watched it, watch it this Lent or even review it this Lent. But, but there's a scene in there uh, which is just fantastic. It's fantastic as far as fulfilling what we see happening in Genesis 3 and, and, and how it compares. You know, in Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve in this garden, and they are struggling over God's command regarding a tree. And the night before Jesus dies, he's also in a garden, struggling over God's command, his, his heavenly father's command about a tree, the tree of the cross. And the contrast is amazing. You know, there Adam and Eve are, they're in this sunny, beautiful day, and God says, Obey my command about this tree, and you'll live! And they don't. In the Garden of Gethsemane, God says, Obey my command about that tree of the cross, and you'll die. And as that command is given to him, that he's going to have to suffer, that he's going to have to go to the cross, the devil slithers his way up into that garden, and you know he's whispering in Jesus' ears, saying, you don't have to die. Do you really have to die? Is that what God really said? And you know what happened next. Watch the little clip. We don't know if there was really a snake in the garden of Gethsemane that night. But we do know that within 12 hours of that scene, Jesus did in fact stomp and crush the devil's head. As he would go to the cross and undo every lie of the devil. The devil's two major lies are again, I want to invalidate the word of God, and I want to invalidate the goodness of God. And when Jesus goes to the cross, what does he do? He proves that God's word is true. He proves that Genesis 3, this promise of a Savior, boom, thousands of years later, gets fulfilled, adding to the truth of all of God's promises. And regarding the goodness of God, well, the fact that he went to the cross and paid for our sins, the forgiveness that he won, that assures us of God's goodness. So he undoes all of the Savior's lies. You know, you you look at Genesis chapter 3. Maybe a familiar story to many of us. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing it. But if you pull out verse 15, which says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. You will strike his heel, or he will crush your head. You will strike his heel. It's going to hurt Jesus. But he would crush the devil's head. You take that verse out. and Genesis 3 is the saddest chapter of the whole Bible. Because then you, it's the beginning of the end. It's the fall. In fact, if you look in any Bible, that's how every editor puts on a title over Genesis 3. It's the fall, it's the fall, it's the fall. It's this horrible, horrible thing. And if you take verse 15 out, yeah, it's horrible. Because what do you see? You see as the result of the fall, you see things like shame, you see pain, you see dysfunction, you even see thistles. Maybe not from Burning Man, but you see thistles. But you put verse 15 back in. And that changes your whole perspective. changes your perspective about sin. It changes your perspective about what happened in the garden that day. It changes your perspective about life. As it assures us that no matter how many whispers the devil puts into our ears, no matter what tools he uses, whether, which we're going to be looking at the next four weeks, like tools like temptation and anxiety and depression and insecurities. No matter what tools he uses to lure us onto his team, he can't win. He can't win because Jesus, Jesus crushed the devil's head. Amen. May the peace of God would surpass